0: This is Business of Home. I'm Dennis Scully, and welcome to The Thursday Show. Later on, I'll be talking to designer Heidi Callier about her new book, Memories of Home. But first, we're going to catch up on the news, including a big AI investment for Airbnb, a new study on the state of luxury, and a surprising new board member for the House of Hackney. To
1: do all that, I'm joined by
0: Business of Home's executive editor, Fred Nicholaus. Hi, Fred.
1: Hi, Dennis. How's it going? Great. How How you doing? Doing good. Sort of feeling the holiday warm and fuzzies. Uh, we, uh, we have a new editorial assistant here at Business of Home, Aiden Taylor. Uh, everyone should watch for his byline coming out in the weeks ahead. And we took him over to 200 Lex to kind of introduce him to the industry a little bit, and everyone there is just so nice. And preaching to the choir here, but it was a real reminder of why this is a, a, a great place to be.
0: The warm and welcoming home industry, yes, yes indeed, exactly. not like I've... fashion, <laughs> not like not like those mean people in <laughs> fashion or that brutal retail. But no, he and we're so excited about Aiden, and uh, and he's going to do great things. We're we're certain. Exactly. You've been you've been doing all right. Yeah. No. Good. I'm 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 definitely starting to feel the uh the christmas cheer some some boxes have started to arrive most of them from myself this early in the year but uh. <laughs>
1: yes cyber monday is really just buy stuff for yourself day which is i'm experiencing the 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 same phenomenon over here but uh let, let's get to the show we had we had a great guest on monday uh soans lulu little really fun convo
0: a great conversation. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of that operation and everything that Lulu has been doing over the years. Succession planning for British craftspeople. And, and I feel like the British
1: artisans are in, in good hands with, with Lulu looking after them. Absolutely. Yeah. I try not to play favorites, but I, you know, Sone's product is so cool. Lulu herself is, you know, fiercely funny and has very fiercely held beliefs. And she's a great guest. And I love how, you know, there's this sort of dilemma in our industry that people kind of don't like to talk about, which is that it is very difficult to make ethical quality furniture and sell it at an affordable price. Uh, it's basically impossible. And Lulu kind of, you know, tackled that head on and talked about how, you know, she wants to preserve British craft, which means charging more, which means the average person can't afford it, which is unfortunate. And she, she really tackled that head on. And I sort of appreciated that part of the conversation because I certainly think about it a lot.
0: I agree. And I also appreciated this, this whole conversation that we had about getting the look for less, which, which is a, a subject that gets her, gets her quite animated and I, I think is an important one. It's, it's not dissimilar to the dupes conversation ah, yes, that we 've had on this show uh, many times before but uh, but I, I think it 's an important one. I also think the the transparency issue that she raised. Uh, frankly, there's a lot of good issues that she raises, and uh, and we got into many many interesting points. So I, I'm really glad we finally
1: had her on. We've been we've been wanting to for a while. And she raised them all in a charming British accent. So can't ask for more than that.
0: <laughs> and I didn't slip into a British accent, so I'm pretty pretty happy about that because uh, that is certainly a condition that I'm working through. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get to the news in just a moment, but first a quick break. We're taking a quick break from the show to tell you about Business of Homes Insider Program and who better to do that than BOH's Editor-in-Chief, Caitlin Peterson. Hey, Caitlin. Hi, Dennis. So, Caitlin, at a high level, tell us what this BOH Insider Program is all about.
2: BOH Insider is our membership community. It's where we offer our readers the opportunity to connect even more closely with our coverage. That's going to include things like a subscription to BOH Magazine, um, it's access to a weekly curriculum of virtual workshops. It's also going to be discounts on some of the offerings on the site that can help you grow your business. So that could be a post on our job board or a listing on our collections vertical for a brand that really wants to showcase its latest line to designers.
0: And I feel like I'm hearing a lot about the field trips that are going on recently. Tell me about that.
2: It's pretty exciting. We've got this new program called Field Trips where we're offering inside access to a lot of amazing industry resources. We've hosted three so far all in New York. Um, you know, we took a decorative painting workshop with some of the insiders. We visited a bespoke furniture atelier. Um, we also just recently toured the P.E. Guerin Foundry in the West Village, and we were able to see the centuries-old sand casting technique happening at a workshop in the heart of the city, which was pretty extraordinary. The, the idea of the whole program is really to, to offer that inside access, to offer that inspiration, um, and to present, you know, just one more way to get up close and personal with some of the, the beauty and the magic of the design industry. We are also taking the program international in January. So I'm excited to announce that we've got a member-only event coming up in Paris. Um, and that'll be just in time for designers' trips to the city for Maison and & Objet and Deco Off. So stay tuned for that.
0: Well, that sounds really exciting. So if if designers want to sign up for the next one, where should they go?
2: You can learn more about the program and sign up at businessofhome.com slash bohinsider. And that's going to give you instant access to the great discounts I was talking about. It gets you an archive of our past workshops. and It also means you'll be on the list when we announce the details of that trip to Paris.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Absolutely. Great to be here.
1: And we're back. First up, we're going to talk about Airbnb. Yes, well, Microsoft has invested at least $13 billion in AI, Amazon at least $4 billion, and now Airbnb is getting in on the action. Uh, the company announced it has acquired something called GamePlanner.ai for about $200 million. Uh, the catch here is that no one seems to know what GamePlanner.ai actually is. I don't know, Dennis, Have you figured it out. Well, I, I, I'm told that they were in stealth mode, and
0: yes. so they really didn't want people asking a lot of questions. They didn't want people to
1: really know what they were doing, and we don't. Yeah, stealth mode is sort of like a startup industry term for kind of building your product but not looking to get articles written about you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things to think about here. I mean, one is that like in general right now, I'm aware that it is very hard for anyone to raise money unless they have some kind of AI plan. I think it's sort of like you know, a a few years ago in the middle of the crypto craze, wasn't it Kodak film rebranded themselves as like Kodak coin or something like that. (laughs) There, there is sort of this, you know, chasing the latest trend in Silicon Valley and it does affect how companies raise money. But I, I do think Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky is he's very serious about AI and he really, you know, he's one of the CEOs who one of many tech industry CEOs who who sees it as a very fundamentally revolutionary technology. And so even though we don't know exactly what this investment is, it's clear that he takes it seriously.
0: No, I agree. And 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 we're joking around, but what what we do know about this company is that it was co-founded by someone who helped develop Siri at Apple and and has been involved in in a range of interesting product developments in this in this area. And we also know that Brian Chesky feels very strongly about AI and its role in many industries, but but he, he mentioned specifically the, the role that it could well play in the design industry and and really is encouraging everyone to to get on board
1: yeah, he did an interview with Design where he talked about how designers kind of missed out. I mean, he might have been talking about graphic designers, but designers missed out on building the internet, so it's built by tech people. And how designers should get in on AI, otherwise, it'll solely be built by tech people. I think Brian Chesky himself actually went to Cooper Union or uh, maybe RISD. He went to design school, or he he Indeed. he's familiar with the the discipline, so he he's speaking from experience there. I mean, I I do have to say, like, I do wonder ultimately what AI. I, I'm I'm sure there are uses for Airbnb. B&B, but i do think sometimes people just sort of say in kind of a hand-wavy way oh yeah we'll just put some ai on it it'll be better you know i, I th- there was an interview that Laura Alber the ceo of Williams Sonoma did somewhat recently where she was talking about ai and she was saying you know this technology has promise but you don't want to just immediately deploy an ai chatbot to do customer service because you know the second that you break trust with your customer and your customer gets sort of the ick about you know interacting with you you lose that person and i do think there's a lot of danger in companies rushing headfirst to deploy this stuff without really understanding exactly what the strengths and weaknesses are. So, you know, I'm sure there are uses for it at Airbnb, but I think they would be foolish to just, you know, AI everything and hit go.
0: No, I I don't disagree with you, but I but I feel that it's it's been clear for some time that Brian Chesky wants to expand the definition of what Airbnb is all about. And he sees this platform as having the potential to, to provide a wide range of services. And, and many have suggested he's looking at the travel industry. He on the last earnings call suggested that maybe it's car rentals. Maybe it's long-term apartment rentals. There, there's a whole range of services that Airbnb can facilitate. And many have thought that AI could be some kind of a concierge tool for Airbnb. And certainly what we've learned in the past year in in just fooling around with the technology as it exists today, it is very good at sifting through information. You can feed it criteria. You can find more precisely what you're looking for, and it seems like many companies, Airbnb included, could, could benefit from that type of service. Yeah, no question.
1: And uh, I do think we should just, you know, we've said it before, but I do think Airbnb clearly cares about good design. Good design drives bookings for them. They spend a lot of money trying to incentivize people to design their spaces that the a list on Airbnb. So bottom line, look, Airbnb cares about interior design. Airbnb cares about AI uh you know you put those two things together that makes this a story worth uh worth watching
0: i agree and and i and i think it's because design is so front and center that uh, that it is worth paying attention to that company and i'm i'm glad we touched on it moving on let's talk about house of hackney and a new board member that's been named
1: <laughs> yes and what a board member so <laughs> this week uh the british lifestyle brand house of hackney announced that it had appointed two surprising new board members mother nature and future generations uh and our managing editor haley Shenard, wrote a story about it um that obviously sounds a little bit like a publicity stunt and you know here we are talking about it so i guess if it was that it certainly (laughs) worked uh but the company is is clearly taking it very seriously they've brought on a lawyer uh independent of the company to to sit on the board and represent these two sort of amorphous entities mother nature and future generations so definitely an interesting development what was your reaction to it dennis it's an interesting development, and as as you suggest, when you first hear the news,
0: maybe you laugh, maybe yeah. you're scratching your head, going, "What does that mean?" Uh, but but as you as you learn more about the process that they went through and how seriously they actually are taking this announcement, and and how they're they're using it in a way. To challenge themselves and, and and really the, the lawyer that they brought in described it as, as really going through therapy and, (laughs) and talking out, okay, what are you saying you stand for? And, and, and what does that mean in terms of how the company is going to behave going forward? So it's, it's interesting. They're, they're sort of forcing themselves to, to really act as, as they have spoken, if you will.
1: Yeah, completely. And I mean, I I definitely chuckled when I first saw the news. It kind of made me think of sort of like a succession style backroom (laughs) dealing where someone's trying to take over the company and I got Mother Nature on my side, but future generations is holding out. for. I mean, it it is a little funny, but I, I do think what this speaks to for me is there's this desire for companies to take sustainability a lot more seriously and to do more than simply slapping a label on their packaging or saying that they're interested in it or sort of doing the bare minimum. And I think a lot of people are just looking for ways to to, either, to both genuinely do that and signal that uh to, to the rest of the world. And so, you know, we, we talked about B-Corps and the certification process companies can go through. I feel like the first time I heard about B-Corps was only two or three years ago. And now I feel like so many companies in the design industry are B-Corps. Uh, of course, South is a B-Corp. Uh People are just trying new things to really make a difference in their company and and take sustainability goals more seriously. And so I you know I don't know if this is the solution to for everybody, but it's certainly interesting and I and I'm curious to see what'll come of it. They actually spoke about trying to find a way so so wallpaper is their
0: number one category yeah. and they've already begun to explore is there a way without chopping down trees we can make wallpaper now i don't know don't know how you square those two but 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 perhaps we'll we'll find out but it's it's interesting to see how they are challenging themselves by by making this announcement
1: yeah exactly and i mean i think like you know one one point to make clear is that this lawyer who's representing these two concepts is independent of the company this person works for an organization that uh, i think is a uk based uh, environmental law agency so th- this is someone who's outside uh, their company and, you know, the idea is that they'll act independently. Um, I do wonder if, you know, while this kind of thing is really interesting, I do wonder if it creates weird complications down the line. If you have a lawyer representing these sort of amorphous ideas, like how do they vote on, you know, more raw commercial considerations? How big is the board overall? You know, I, I, this is very early days and I, there's not a lot of companies doing this, but I do wonder if there are going to be weird ripple effects down the line. Well, and you and you certainly can see a lot of people who are skeptical of, around this
0: whole conversation. J- just just think, this is a little bit of a joke. And are you are you trying to make money? Are you are you trying to to really be a business, or are you, to your point, are you some sort of environmental nonprofit? And and so yeah. it it is a challenge, and and it is a challenge to to both talk the talk and then and, and walk the walk and, and really make it a, a business and, and I, I assume one that they that they want to grow. So we'll we'll see. But it's could be, to your point, it could be very challenging uh if this if this board member really pushes back in a meaningful yes. way yeah. and uh and, and says the company's not really living up yeah. to, yes. to <laughs> right to what they I can live outlined. with
1: Mother Nature but future generations <laughs> are just grinding my gears on the well, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I
0: mean, and does mother nature want different things than future generations want? And and what if future generations want profit? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it, it it's going to be interesting to see and, and and it might be fun to to talk with the the founders and and hear more about it once they've had a little little time to to sort this through and maybe had a couple of board meetings. And, <laughs> exactly, and, yeah. And see how it goes. Okay, let's move on to ADUs, which will be popping up in New York City rather unexpectedly. But a couple of weeks ago, a new initiative was launched in New York City that would give residential building owners financial support to construct new accessory dwelling units, or what we refer to as ADUs. A small number, it sounds like, ultimately, Fred, but but what did you make of the news?
1: Yes. Well, uh first of all, you need to have a backyard in order to have an ADU or a basement that you're not using to store your air conditioners and old records. So th- I will not be eligible for this uh, particular program. It's interesting. I mean, as you pointed out, it's a small program. This is 15 single family homeowners. So this is not some big sweeping initiative it's sort of a pilot program but what this sort of speaks uh, to at least for me is that there is this huge ADU boom especially in California which there of course is geared at their your housing crisis you know it's so unaffordable to live there anything that can do to to get more uh, houses in, into the stock they will do and we have the same problem here in New York of course it's just that you know our geography and landscape doesn't lend itself towards granny flats uh, the way it does in say san diego but the fact that they're trying this is certainly interesting uh and i'm i'm curious to see how it does i i have my doubts, but there are parts of New York City, of course, that aren't uh, quite the same as uh, super urban Brooklyn, which is where I live, so I I can't forget about that. What about you, what do you think?
0: It's very interesting, and it started to creep into uh, other parts of New York already and and many areas. My particular area where I live has not approved it yet, so I can't take my wife's garden and turn it into (laughs) an ADU, though I think about it often. We all know that, as you were saying, the housing shortage and the the whole affordability issue. It's interesting to see in California how much more valuable the homes are that have ADUs on them versus those that don't it seems like it's another income potential stream for people uh it, for me i'm just hoping for a nice separate podcast recording studio <laughs> but you know again it's an ongoing discussion in my house and uh, and some zoning regulations will have to be approved but i do think that i mean it's it's interesting to see in the states where it's so big that the numbers are just uh, are are huge i mean in california it's 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 just grown massively in the past few years oh and, yeah it's
1: yeah it's yeah. thousands and thousands of them for sure yeah i mean i think you know one question i have about this i've always had about this is is there an opportunity for interior designers and you know i've i've written about it a couple times and i think that You know, in general, like ADUs are small. There's not as much yardage of fabric to spec. There's not as much design to do. And so just by their nature, they're not as lucrative an opportunity as a 10 bedroom house. But I do think that you know if you can set up a process to do ADUs efficiently and you know not spend a lot of time on them, I think it's cer- it's certainly a growth opportunity. Certainly that is that part of the economy is growing. So if you can find a way to do it and make it work for your business, that's all to the good. And I also think we're coming up on a time, frankly, where a lot of designers are probably slowing down. Like you know their incoming work is probably a little bit slower than it was two years ago or a year ago. We just we just had a column, uh, advice column on the site a couple of days ago that was a designer was asking our advice column is, Sean Lowe about how they had no new incoming business and they're really concerned about that and so I think those kinds of questions are on designer's mind. I don't know if getting into the ADU business is going to be the solution to everyone but you know it, it's uh, it's certainly something that's uh, that's booming right now.
0: No, I agree and I and I think there are a lot of great design opportunities. I think our our sister publication Dwell covers this area a great deal and it, it's amazing to see how much better the designs are today than even just a few years ago. And, and I think there, there is a lot of opportunity to make these very personalized and, and very well designed and well executed spaces. So I, I, I think a, a lot of growth is coming in this area. And I think designers would do well to, if nothing else, just learn more a- about it because this is a trend I, I definitely don't think is
1: going away. If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. (laughs) Goes for singers and ADUs. Absolutely. Okay, moving on, let's talk
0: about this Bain study. So uh, last week, a new report placed the global luxury market on track to reach $1.6 $1.6 trillion in 2023, which would mark an increase of about 8 to 10% from last year. The downside, at least for us in America, is that most of that success has been concentrated outside the US, particularly in Europe and Saudi Arabia. Over the last year, America's have actually suffered an eight percent drop in performance. What what did what did you make of that,
1: Fred? Sure. Well, uh, gosh, falling behind here. <laughs> um, I, you know, I I don't think we should draw too broad of a conclusion from this study. this This is a report that Bain, the management consulting uh, company, puts out pretty regularly, and it takes into account the overall luxury market, not just uh, high end design, but everything from jewelry to fashion to watches and all that stuff. So, you know, those numbers pulled out might be kind of interesting to look at. I would say anecdotally that I actually feel that like a lot of Europeans are coming over here. I feel like you know just the other week Pierre Yovanovitch, the French designer, opened up a showroom in the U.S. I feel like we keep coming back to that theme of of people coming uh, to the U.S. to try and find success here. So at least my own individual conversations have. Been against the grain of this study, but what do, what do you think? No, I I don't disagree, and and, and
0: I think that uh, the resiliency of the American market has has borne out once again. And listen, we'll see if we really get this soft landing that people are talking about, and we we'll, and we'll see if the economy stays as uh, as strong as it's been this this past year. But I I think you're absolutely right. Everyone that we talk to. Lulu Little just opened her shop on Madison Avenue and, and so many companies are, are focused on the U.S. There, there's so much opportunity here. I think this market suddenly looks a lot better to many than China looked uh, even a, a few years ago. And I, I think that there's, there's a lot of
1: uncertainty around the globe. So I, I think America may benefit from all of that. Yeah, I mean, one thing that jumped out for me from this study uh, that does line up with the anecdotal conversations I've been having over the past couple of years is, you know, the rise of Saudi Arabia as a market for luxury. I do think that, like, it's undeniable that Saudi Arabia has been making a lot of outreach to the, you know, to connect with the West in a bigger way. There's a lot more. There's a push to get Western tourists to go there. You know, there's no bigger sign than they've hired, uh, soccer star Leo Messi to be one of their ambassadors and that they want, uh, Western tourists to, to show up there. And I, I've heard from design companies left and right that they, you know, that they're opening offices in Dubai and, you know, the Middle East is definitely a growth market. But, you know, of course the Middle East is politically complicated. So I, I, I do think that like America will. You know, knock on wood, continue to be a really desirable market, especially, especially in home. I, I think it's an untapped market for a lot of these European companies. It's not quite the same as, you know, Hermes and Louis Vuitton. It's like they've already, you know, we already know them here. I think it's much less the case for uh, companies in home. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of ground for them to cover here.
0: No, I agree. It, it, the other thing that I thought was interesting about this study was it was looking out to twenty thirty. And, and suggesting that it's imagining Gen Z will account for about 25 or 30% of luxury market purchases and millennials will account for about 50 to 55%. And it just made me laugh because five minutes ago, everyone was saying, Oh, they don't want anything. They don't have any money. They're, they're, they're broke and they don't want their parents stuff and whatever. And now they're going to be such a huge swath of the luxury market. So I, is it, is it just they get a little bit older? And they're spend. I mean, I, I don't know what we're supposed to read into that, but but yeah. I do think that we've talked in the past many times on this show that <laughs> companies do actually want to focus on Gen Z, and they do want to focus on the millennials. And this report reminds you why. And and unlike the story that we talked about, uh, how many years before Dallas Fort Worth overtakes New York as the number one city, <laughs> yeah. uh, twenty twenty thirty uh, seems like something you should be planning for now. And really, if if Gen Z is going to be thirty percent and the millennials are going to be fifty five percent, then you you want to make sure that
1: you're pretty well focused on those two markets. <laughs> I think the takeaway from this is that if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area and you're targeting Gen Z, then you're you're well positioned for success going forward. Indeed,
0: indeed. Moving on on a sadder note, this week the design community lost Mika Erdogan, who passed away at the age of ninety seven. She founded the design firm Mac 2 in the late 1960s alongside socialite Jesse Rayner and then spent more than 50 years designing the homes of high-profile celebrities and society figures across the world. Alongside her husband Ahmed Erdogan, the founder of Atlantic Records, she oversaw a wide portfolio of philanthropic projects including the Atrium for Jazz at Lincoln Center, the restoration of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, and a $41 million humanities scholarship at Oxford, which earned Mika an honorary title from Queen Elizabeth II.
1: Yes, what a what a life and uh, what a presence. I actually, very early on in my career as as a young whippersnapper design reporter, I kind of called Mac 2 out of the blue, not really knowing how high profile it was. And she picked up the phone and she was a, she was a presence on the phone. She had very <laughs> strong opinions. She was very smart, very wise. Um, and incredible projects, incredible life. She, she definitely will be remembered and, uh, and missed. Indeed. She was
0: a, she was a regular on the AD100 list,
1: and uh, she
0: was named into the Interior Design Hall of Fame, and uh, she, she, was, uh, she was quite a force in the industry and, and one that I, I hope we'll get to look back on a lot of her work in the, in the weeks ahead. All right. That's it for the news, but there's plenty more to check out on businessofhome.com including Alexa Hampton's rules for turning a bedroom into a personal retreat, and a look at the styles designers are ready to leave behind in 2023. We're going to get to my discussion with Heidi in just a minute, but first, a quick break. We're taking a quick break from the show to tell you about Business of Home's industry-leading job board and who better to do that than BOH's Associate publisher, Kim Trapanye. Hi, Kim. Hey, Dennis. So, Kim, this industry-leading job board of ours, tell us about it.
3: Yeah, so Business of Homes Job Board has been around for the last decade, uh, and it is the industry leading job board for a very good reason. It's that the people that you want to hire are reading Business of Home. Uh, Our editor-in-chief, Caitlin Peterson, recently told me that a designer shared that she won't hire people unless they come to her through Business of Homes Job Board, uh, because she knows that that means that applicant is interested in staying connected, paying attention to what's going on in the industry. Um, and is tapped in.
0: Business of home readers only need apply. I love that.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: so I, I see some pretty impressive names on the job board. Uh, tell us who's who's hiring at the moment.
3: Yeah, I was just looking through this morning. Um, you know, In addition to top design firms all around the country, um, there's definitely tons of showrooms and great manufacturers looking to hire as well. Uh, just today, we've had postings from Young Ha in New York and McDonald's in Minneapolis, Katie Coughlin in Boston, and then also Dadar, Brown Jordan, Left Bank Art, Thomas Lavin, all looking for sales and customer support roles to be filled.
0: Now, I know these jobs get filled pretty quickly. By the time listeners hear this, they probably be new jobs on the job board. So tell me, people that are looking for a job or or want to post on the board, where should they go?
3: Sure, they can just head to businessofhome.com slash jobs. That's jobs with an S.
0: (laughs) Good to know. All right, Kim, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: So my guest today is interior designer and author of the new book, Memories of Home, Heidi Callier. Heidi, welcome.
4: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: It's such a pleasure, and I was so excited to get a copy of your book. Tell us about what set you off on the path to do this book.
4: I think it was, oh my gosh, it feels like so long ago. And, you know, it's been about two years. Of course, years. yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. which I, you know, have learned so much, and I know that's normal now. It felt like a turning point a little bit in my career. You know, we'd done projects, we'd progressed um, to a point, and then I, you know, there was like a definitive point where it felt like, okay, this is going to be the next phase. And I kind of wanted to, you know, just have this piece of that time of my work and mm. put that out in the world. Um and I certainly didn't think that I was going to get a book deal. It was kind of a pipe dream.
0: Really? Is that how you felt?
4: Oh, 100%. Yes. It was like a big unattainable goal. Like, let's sure, let's try. It's kind of a joke. And then we did.
0: Well, and, and did you find, so, so often the book people tell me, oh, well, you know, she's got the right social media following. She's mm-hmm. got, right? I mean, was that a big tool for them with you?
4: Yeah, those numbers always help. You know, I think... It's selling books is hard, much harder than I thought it was, and something that I didn't really <laughs> think about to be honest with you. um you know you but you 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 know the social media following always helps it it can't hurt you it's you know it shows people that people are interested in your work, and um a publisher obviously wants that you know the ultimate goal is to sell books, so the more people that follow you, I think the higher your chances are of doing that.
0: you mentioned that you've that you've learned a great deal through the process, I wonder. What, what springs to mind about the many things that you did, that you did learn from going through this?
4: Mm. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like any other thing that I uh, approach, you know, it's kind of like my career in design, you know, I, you just, I didn't know what I was getting into. It sounds like wonderful. Let's do a book. And there's so, (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be so fun. There's so many facets to it, aside from just shooting, you know, having the work. We had a bunch of work, but then we, we had to shoot about eight projects, which is, a tremendous undertaking in the midst of having a business and having a staff and developing new projects. So there's that component. Um, But then the other part that I didn't even think about, which was like, okay, what is this book going to look like? Mm. Who's determining that? Who's going to design (laughs) it? This was a whole different world to me. you very foreign, you know, in terms of like looking at proofs, what you're looking at, what to approve, how it's going to print. So for me, every single thing about this book was a learning process and a learning curve. Um, You know, as you're working on it over the course of the years, you know, you look at this thing so much and you read the chapters so many times and you're looking at the imagery. It just kind of, you know, so by the time you have the book like in your hands, it's a little bit surreal and it feels like, wow, all of that work came to this. So, yes, I'm very proud of what we put out. I, I really am like it feels like a real reflection of me and the firm and, and Harris's photography and a collaboration, I feel like that very much comes across. So I'm, I'm proud of that.
0: Yeah, no, 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 to be sure. And, and, and we should, and we should mention about, about Harris, who you've, who you've worked with for some, some time. So tell me, tell me when that relationship first began, because this is all his, his imagery. And I feel like he helps to create some of the, some of the magic of your, of your
4: work, Right yes it's very much a partnership between him and i you know we've worked together for eight years now you know when i moved to seattle um i wanted to shoot my house when i finished it here and i had no idea you know brian paquette was using him who was a local designer um and i liked his work i didn't really know what i was looking at then um so we met for a pretty awkward first little coffee meeting and (laughs) (laughs) we still laugh about it um but we hit it off right away we both have very much of the same work ethic you know we're both really hard workers and we're both very driven to get the work right and we've evolved together over time which has been so nice you know he used to shoot things very differently and i used to work a little differently and to me it feels like we've grown together um Mm. we're also very close friends and he's like a brother to me um and we have a very close relationship personal relationship and working relationship and you know we felt like i very much felt like this book was a partnership which is, you know, his name is on the cover, and I wanted, you know, he deserves the credit for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and, and, I, and I loved that part of it, and it, and it really felt like you, you were presenting it to the world as a, as a partnership and, and that the two of you had, had done this together. I, I, I want to talk about your aesthetic and the, and the wonderful look and feel of these projects that, that so many people have fallen for, including the designer who wrote the foreword to your book, amber lewis who yes. like so many discovers you on instagram and loves what you're doing and uh and just becomes uh just becomes a fan right like yeah. so many
4: she's so wonderful she's been so supportive over the years and it really is you know i know it sounds so little but in, in instagram you know it is what it is but it's been instrumental in growing my career um, and those initial shout outs from people like Amber and Shay McGee and Chris loves Julia, you know those really um, catapulted my Instagram following in a way that was very significant and you know that just leads to more recognition. people know who you are, they hire you. so I, I definitely don't underestimate that support. It's been huge.
0: I'm always so I'm always stumbling and fumbling asking designers about, how they talk about their aesthetic or how they think about it. And so I, I loved, I love this reference on the book jacket of your book that that talks about being simultaneously nostalgic and of the moment, and this push pull between masculine and feminine and right and the bold patterns and, and all of that. Where does that come from? And was that always how you saw things? Or did you, did you experiment and, and put things together and then pull a few things back and say, Oh, maybe that's too? I mean, tell me about it.
4: I mean, I have really changed as a designer and my approach to design over the years. You know, when I first started out in those early days, you know, late San Francisco years and then early Seattle years. I was very much just doing what the clients wanted, which was the look. Then the Moroccan rug, the neutral sofa, <laughs> like a, a bright pillow or two. I think I used that West Elm Moroccan rug like five thousand times. Um, and I—that's really what I, thought, who I thought I was as, as a designer. But you know, I would shoot projects and I would get the pictures back, and I did not feel excited by them. I was like, glad to have work, but I wasn't feeling inspired by my own work. And I just kind of felt like, what am I doing here? And, um, my approach is very different now, but there was definitely a turning point, you know, after I moved to Seattle, um, I, I got some clients that had, that were a little bit older, Mm. um, and had, you know, instead of Pinterest or Instagram images, they were sharing like tears from like old verandas or, you know, traditional home. And the aesthetic was just a little bit more. Mature, I would say. And there was one client in particular who had all of this, and it just kind of gave me the chance to stretch. I started taking a little bit more risk and using pattern and color and being a little more guided by, you know, Seattle and the gray and what I wanted to feel like when I was here um, in my own home. And that was like a definite shift for me at that point in time. Like that one project really changed my aesthetic and i started you know she they really loved the design i felt proud of the work the Mm. work got picked up in Lux, which was like a huge it made the cover of Lux, and it was a huge deal i was you know over the moon and it really gave me the confidence to like put what i wanted to put out out there versus kind of like prescribing to what everyone else was doing and it just kind of grew from there
0: and so part of it was the landscape that was that was affecting you and and interesting to to see how it it did help your work to to evolve and it's so hard often when people speak to it your work i think more more than so many others you can readily identify oh yes that that's a heidi project and and yet it's not that you're to your point about the moroccan rug and the white silver it's not that you're repeating a look on the contrary, there's just something. And I, and I think so many designers wish either that they had clients or that they themselves had the guts, I think sometimes to, to layer all that you do.
3: Mm.
4: Yeah, I definitely do like the layering and, you know, it's, I do feel, you know, talking about the trajectory of my career and looking back on it, which, you know, the book has really prompted a lot of reflection, which has really been lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I still, that my evolution has been so organic and natural, you know, I, I don't have a background in design. I don't have an education. I didn't spend my younger years, you know, looking at design magazines. Like, it's all still relatively new to me um and i'm still developing as a designer you know my aesthetic is always shifting as i look at things and you know as i mentioned before like i tend to get bored easily and i'm you know i want to do something new so i you know i don't want to do that project that i already did again i want to work with different textiles and i want to find new vendors and create something that's new and that's what's fun for me about it you know i like clients that come to us and say, like, oh, you know, we want a house that feels like a Heidi house. But, you know, for me, I'm like, that's wonderful. But I want to do something new, too. And I think that's the joy in this career is that you can always keep getting better or hopefully keep getting better.
0: Well, so so what do clients think a Heidi house is? Because I love that. I know.
4: I always ask that.
0: too (laughs) I want a Heidi house. Yes. And, <laughs> and Heidi's like, mean? yes. And what does that mean exactly? Yes.
4: I'm like, I, can I see some inspiration <laughs> yes, images for that? exactly? <laughs> well, and I think, you know, I do like to design in a lot of different styles. You know, I, there are some projects that are certainly more traditional or more modern or, you know, more contemporary. Some projects are more color and pattern heavy and some are not. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting, Dennis, like you say, like, oh, your work is recognizable or I can tell when it's and that, like, yeah. it's interesting to see how other people see your own work because I don't see that in my work. So that's, you know, it's good to hear that.
0: Well, and it's, it's always so interesting when you're compiling a book and you're going back and looking at these projects. And I, I have to assume some of these, you're like, oh yes, that was a great memory. And then others, you're like, Ooh, what was I, what was
4: what's going on for me there? hundred percent. Right? Yes. I look at images and I'm like, why did I put that there? I don't... <laughs> You're probably not supposed to say that. But... <laughs> no, but I mean, and also
0: you, you, you do get bored. You don't want to repeat that, that same, it, you know, it's, it's funny because some designers, they fall in love with a wallpaper and then suddenly that wallpaper is, it's showing up everywhere or, yep, yep. right. Or yep. that, li, that liaig sofa is showing up in every project, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. get it. Uh, but you seem to, you seem to eschew that notion of, uh, of, of seeing a lot of things o- o- over and over again, uh, which, which makes, which makes it harder on you, Heidi, just heads up. It's going to make it harder yeah, I know. for you.
4: <laughs> I know. <laughs> and my staff.
0: Exactly. I mean, I, sometimes I get, I get why designers are like, yeah, yeah, no, let's just. Oh, let's it is let's.
4: a smarter business model for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We should point out, I mean, for so long too, you were running with such a small staff and and by small, I mean, you, And and, right? And I mean, and and now, and so now where are you?
4: So uh, I started growing about two years ago, but in the midst of that, all the COVID fun times Mm. where, you know, you were spending all of your time just trying to get emails back from people about where your stuff was. I started to grow then and... Have been very slow and deliberate about it. And now I have a staff of five and myself, which is crazy to think about. And everyone is remote.
0: And everyone is remote? Yes. And that suits you down to the ground?
4: I don't really have a choice. You know, the way things are structured now, you know, I don't have a lot of projects in Seattle. We have a few projects here, Mm. but we have projects, you know, up and down the east coast we've got projects in montana idaho and then all up and down the coast of california and so it doesn't really make sense for me to have a team here as we've grown those are things that i thought about oh do i want to have an office where i have a staff like maybe that is coming in the next few years but we are you know having remote staff has a lot of challenges but it it's also got you know, pros, you know, I've got a team on the East coast that works out of Charleston. So, you know, I had, we had two installs in New York last week and I didn't go to them. My East coast team went and did them Well, I went to Santa Barbara for the day for a project. So that works out really nicely. Um, and there's just so much technology now. So it makes it very easy in some ways, but the creative part is something that I'm still doing by myself and probably looking to grow that. And that I think will create its own set of challenges. In the remote environment.
0: So, what what specifically do you think is going to create the, the the challenges?
4: I mean, it's so nice to have somebody to like bounce ideas off of when you're face to face. It's just there's nothing like it. I mean, mm. even when I see my staff, you know, we'll do installs together or you know, on sites, you know, frequently, and we just the the face to face interaction, being in the same room, being in the same office, working together, like the ideas come easier, you know, and especially with creative, you know, I have all of my textiles and samples in my office with me, but if someone else is going to be creative and they're not going to be in this office with me, like they kind of need the same exact setup. So uh, yeah, it's challenging. I know other designers who do it, but it'll be interesting when we, when we get to that point. And I've learned, you know, having a staff and becoming a manager, like that becomes a very big part of the job as you grow. So I think you, you know, once you get to six, Six employees, or whatever this is, you start realizing like, oh, the creative starts becoming you need more time to manage the people that you have, and you don't get to do all the creative as much anymore, so I think we'll probably hire creative very soon,
0: and how does that feel for you when you're when you're recognizing that you're managing a lot more and that, as you say, it does take you away from the of course from the from the creative time,
4: yeah, I mean. I did this by myself for so long. So there's definitely days where, you know, your inbox is exploding and you're like, this is all emails from my staff. I can't get out of it. Or they're calling, texting. And you're like, this was so much easier when I just did this by myself. But, you know, you reach a tipping point where it's like, okay, you have to grow Mm. to take on the projects that you want to keep taking on. Especially, you know, when when we started getting these bigger projects and the amount of documentation that has to happen and, the project management, the procurement, all of this, like you ha- you really do have to have a team. So if you wanna keep going in that direction, it's not really an option. Um, I'm really excited actually about the potential of hiring creative because I do think there's so much value in that collaboration, fresh ideas, a fresh set of eyes. We take on a lot of projects. I, I like to stay busy and I have a hard time saying no. So. <laughs> um it so you do reach a point where you're like is this sustainable to just do this for the next 15 20 years or should we branch out um and so i kind of you know back and forth been thinking about this for many years do we want to have our own should we develop product you know mm. um not everybody can be amber lewis you know and you dip <laughs> your toe in and you're like this is a tremendous amount of work i it's just crazy you know to see the amount of work that it takes to build that so Mm. yeah i've kind of shifted my focus i'm definitely interested in collaborations um i designing product is very appealing to me i have so many ideas that i'm interested in exploring so that's kind of where we're headed right now and we do have some exciting things in the works that i can't talk about yet
0: (laughs) okay okay (laughs) but to your point inevitably one has to think about the scaling and always designers are thinking hmm fewer clients maybe bigger projects but Mm -hmm. also this other revenue stream that that and and some go down the the licensing route and and the the challenge there though is they want you to appear and they want you to go around the country rolling out the new (laughs) light right so it's like wait i was doing this to get more time and now suddenly i'm
3: right?
4: Yes. That was a very big learning experience for me with the book, you know, because I did that, that little book tour and, Mm. um, wasn't something that I thought about, you know, until it was brought up very close to when I did the tour. So, (laughs) you know, all of those things and I'm a bit of an introvert. So for me to, you know, doing those events and meetings and, you know, meetings with editors and panels, and this is like way outside of my comfort zone. Um, so you know the book tour from start to finish was about a month, and you know my nervous system went, went through the linger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just now recovering, but yes, you do think about that. Like all of these things that you sign on to, you know, they you you do. It, it requires more travel, and um, yeah. it it comes up suddenly, and you have to find a way to fit it into your already busy schedule. And people, you you know, you have to kind of put your face on, and get that's a whole component of it. Yep,
0: and does one want to grow a great big firm managing all these people right And uh, they, i know
4: so, i think it's so easy to look at what what everyone else does you know on instagram or whatever it is and say oh i can do that or this is you know this is the way i want to go and then the day-to-day reality of those things are so different you know it's so much work and as you said like so much travel and you know i have yeah. young kids and yes. a family and i want to see them while they're children so you know you get you end up feeling like you could be tugged in so many different directions and it really is about figuring out like what is meaningful enough to spend time away from your family that's going to like feed you creatively and your staff creatively hopefully because you're trying to provide you know a healthy working environment and um want everyone to feel fulfilled and it's a lot of figuring out like what's right what do you say yes to what can you capitalize on in this moment because you have the book and um you want to use that to your advantage and you know, the momentum and all of that, but you also, you know, don't want to get burned out. So it's a balance for sure.
0: Does the hospitality industry seem appealing to you to hotel projects or putting your stamp on places where people can come and stay and experience you definitely in that look and feel? Yeah.
4: Yeah. I would love to do a boutique hotel. You know, we've done a tasting room um, and that was quite fun. You know, rest, restaurants don't it's it's such a different world. Mm. Commercial design is such a different world than residential, but I think there's a way, you know, I think there's a place where they meet and I think that's becoming a little more common. Um, but I would love to do like a boutique hotel or something like this or, you know, branded properties, you know, so many designers now are doing yes. You know, like the, you know, Summer Summer Thornton's house in Mexico or like, you know, Morrison Design House has, you know, vacation properties. Like that is very appealing. We have talked about that internally, you know, doing Heidi houses or whatever they're called. And it's just figuring out if it works financially, you know, if the, if it makes sense with the numbers,
0: Heidi houses, just popping up in different (laughs) parts of the country. Who knows where that goes? Do we, do we need some big investor for that? Do we need, do we need private equity bucks to, to do that? Or what do you think? No,
4: I, I mean, Dennis, I've never wanted to be big. Like I always, like, I think like the size that I'm at right now feels so good Okay. And I like to be hands on with all the design, you know, like that's why I do this. I, li- yes. I like the design. Right. So I want to do, th- I want to do that. I, you know, when we've talked about doing these like other branches of the business or whatever, like the thought was never to buy like 10 houses and do them. It's like buy one and see what happens. And, mm. you know, I think there's something so appealing, like all the people who I admire in this industry or look up to their business model, you know, like you think about even like Nikki Kehoe, who are so wonderful. And like, yes. they started that business by like, here we designed a chair and here's another chair. And like, then we did a pillow and like, and now it's this huge thing that they've grown, but I love, and Amber very much started that way too. And I really admire that, you know, they really just started doing something small versus like this big business plan, you know, that you're going out to see, you know, private equity or whatever it is. They just kind of bootstrapped it and it's been so successful. And I think it's really admirable.
0: It's also this this question that designers are so often faced with about do I become a personality? Is that a necessary component of, of building whatever this next level of the, of the business is?
4: Yeah. I think somebody asked me this like a year and a half ago. Oh, you know, turning into a brand or something. And I was mm-hmm. like, is that what I am turning into a brand? That's so <laughs> weird to me. <laughs> and then you do kind of start to understand like that you're out in the world and like. You know you are the face of your brand at the end of the day um and it's not like you're faking a personality but people kind of expect a certain thing out of you and you do want to deliver that you know if you want to maintain your reputation and you know you want your following to engage with you. I mean, I have, uh, my interactions on Instagram are so genuine. I have, my followers are so wonderful. My community is so supportive and I've got to meet so many of these people during these book signings, which was like the most satisfying and rewarding thing ever. Um, But they're just like, you know, there is an energy there that's so nice and supportive. And so you want to give, give it back. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. It's that push pull between the self-preservation and, and making sure that you don't, put yourself out there too much and that you're right. You can't pull back and you need to recharge. And to your point, you have trouble saying no to projects, Heidi. And so you're pretty, you're pretty busy. How many, how many projects you juggling right now? Oh gosh.
4: I mean, I think at any given time we are probably running 15 to 20. Stop it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But they're all at different phases. You know, that's, Right. Those are people that are on our roster that we've you know done some light architectural work on. We went to permitting and now we're waiting you know nine months for the permits to go through. Or we've got pro- you know projects we're installing, so they're all kind of at varied points. But we're pretty firm, you know, because I worked on my own for so long, like I had mm. to be very structured about how we delivered work and what that looked like. So I'm definitely not the designer who's like, okay, this week we're going to like pick out some tile and. You know, in two months we'll look at plumbing fixtures. You know, we do one huge presentation for each project that has everything top to bottom. We deliver the finished schedule at the same time, the budget, and then it's like checked off, done. We move on to the next design project. If you're small, I think it has to be like that. If you want to take on more than you know five projects,
0: no that that, that makes that makes perfect sense. And uh, and you have to be that orderly about things and and move things along. Have the Economic challenges of the day, has a, the higher mortgage rates, or the the, the feeling around uh, retail that it's a, a bit more challenging than it has been, does that show up in your world at all? Or
4: definitely, I mean, not with every project. Obviously, there's a threshold. I think where that's not really a consideration. But we, you mm-hmm. know, I would in the last year we had a few projects that we had signed. To say like we're going to delay this project for a few years. We want to put the brakes on. Um, so that definitely happened, and people are definitely a little more like um, thoughtful about their spending right now. Like people yeah. are not just throwing caution to the wind like they were, you know, three years ago. There, it's like a this is what we're this is our budget, and we need to stick to it. So I think people are feeling a little on edge. You know, the world mm. oof, is yeah. is really insane right now, and I think everyone is feeling that um, economics, social issues, all of that. And yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a slowdown, I think.
0: The housing market seems challenging at 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 the moment. Not not enough mm-hmm. not enough houses for sale, and that's such an important driver. Obviously, are a lot of the projects that you do now are they are they new builds or are they are they really just people buying houses and having you come in?
4: We're still. I mean, we do work on new builds, but I think they're about like thirty percent, and mm. then we do a lot of remodels um, yeah. or additions. So yeah, it's you know yeah, but we. There are, we are working on a bunch of new builds, but it's, 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 you know, divided. I know some designers like really only do new builds, but that's not, I love old houses. So I think a lot yeah. of people come to us for that.
0: No, I, I would, I would think that they would, I, I would think that that, that look and feel that you bring fits in a, yeah in an, in an old old house and and that makes perfect sense and so so you need people to sell their houses so that uh people can <laughs> can move around and uh and I, definitely right i mean i'm hoping i'm hoping that's gonna get a little easier soon i don't, I don't know i i don't uh, i look into 2024 and frankly it makes me a little nervous but i know um, what
4: do you think is going to happen to us
0: well I don't I don't love what I'm what I'm seeing. I mean I, yeah. this we're we're continuing to adjust to these higher rates and this whole mantra around higher for longer and 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 what does it mean? It looks as though they're not going to be convinced that inflation has really been put to rest until perhaps unemployment creeps creeps higher than it is now. And so what is it going to take for that to happen? And I fear that, to make that happen, things are going to have to slow down a lot more than they are right now. Because frankly, in a lot of areas of the country, it doesn't feel slow at all. No, I would agree with you. Right? (laughs) Let's slow down. I mean... No, I know. Yeah.
4: It's the truth. And I also am continually shocked by how expensive everything is. I mean... Yes. You know, my team will deliver a budget to me and I'm like, these numbers are 30% higher than they were, you know, five months ago. This is crazy. So everything is just, it does seem like yeah there's going to be a need to be like a more significant slowdown at some point
0: so many people thought inflation coming down meant those prices going back down and of course that's not what's happening
4: no this is not what happens (laughs) and then you come to realize you're like no these are the now this is the price and it's never coming down it's just going to go up again when they are able to bring the price up right i mean i have been kind of gobsmacked by the price increases we've seen you know since the beginning of covid yeah. And then I, it's been a gradual realization over the past year. Like, oh, these prices are not ever going back down. They just keep incrementally like creeping up. You know, we get a price increase notice from our vendors. You know, once every like four months, I feel like now, yeah. Yeah, we're having a price increase again. I'm like, we just raised prices. I think there's like a bigger cultural thing at play here. We're like all of the you know the stuff that's going on in the world you know this weird late stage capitalism thing like i think there's like a deep unhappiness with people and so they're trying to like fill. let's go travel as much as we can you know yes. we had that sense during COVID, like this is the end of times so, you like you really have to live your life to the fullest and that is what people are doing for sure yeah <laughs> i'm constantly like were restaurants always this busy are they just understaffed why is everybody in the world ordering starbucks on a daily basis i don't understand how can everyone afford a $6 coffee every day now? Why can everyone afford mobile orders? Like, cause everything just feels explosive. It can all really feel like a drag sometimes. So the design, you know, like you have to stay excited about something. And that's really my goal. And the thing that I keep coming back to like, okay, you've got all of these projects in the roster that you get to design coming up think of all the fun ideas you get to have and like be creative and you know, same with the the things that I was, you know, hinting at that we have coming up in the pipeline. Like I want to feel excited by things because that's what keeps you going in this job, despite, you know, the amount of hard days or whatever it is. So yeah, I just kind of laser focused on that.
1: Right.
0: So keep thinking about what's coming, the the fun Mm -hmm. new challenges that are coming your way, the opportunities, and that keeps you motivated and, and fresh and, Forever thinking fewer clients. How do we get to fewer? Mm. <laughs> Let me see. How do you... Exactly.
4: Fewer better. Fewer yes. better.
0: Fewer better. And is better
4: bigger? Better is not necessarily bigger. That is a lesson I have learned mm. over the years. Um, I used to think that was true. I mean, I love a big project, but right. you know, those big projects can become a real drag for three years if you're miserable in them. So yeah. at this point in time, like, I'm looking for projects that are like the right fit aesthetically. The clients, you know, like the work that they've seen Mm. and they want, you know, something, you know, they're interested in design in some way, shape or form. They really want to create something beautiful and nice people. I really just want to work with nice people.
0: Does anybody in your office say, oh, luckily, artificial intelligence is going to help us soon. We're going to have some wonderful tool.
4: (laughs) I think it's so interesting to hear different designers' takes on this. But I am like the least tech savvy person ever. And so, you know, I'm still trying to figure out the algorithm. I'm, there's no chance. I, I'm like, AI, I'm like, how do you do that? Is it the chat GPT <laughs> thing? I don't know. How do I activate it?
0: <laughs> well, I think, I think it's, it's going to show up more and more and we'll, yeah. and we'll see what it, what it becomes. But, uh, but I don't think that's what you need to focus on right now right?
4: Agreed. Agreed. I think,
0: right. I think you know where your focus is right now. And, uh, and we're going to, we're going to, ch- well, should we give you six months to, to, to sort this out? Or, I mean, does that give you enough time? What do you yeah, think?
4: Six months is a good amount of time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Six you months. The holidays. Yep. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. That's when we're going to circle back. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's such a pleasure to spend time with you.
4: Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor.
0: and we're back we're getting to the end of the show here but before we go we'd like to take a second to highlight anything going on in the industry that might have caught our eye
1: Fred what's caught your eye Sure. Well, earlier we were talking about millennials and what they want. So regular, regular <laughs> source of discussion here on the podcast. Um, this weekend I went to a friend's uh, 40th birthday party. So you know, a fellow ancient millennial, and it was just interesting. A, cu- a couple friends of mine were moving into a new place, and uh, some other people were talking about furniture shopping. And I will just say, like, the thing of doing reverse Google image searches, looking for dupes. That is was 100% the way they talked about it. 100% the way they do it. I'm sure that's new for interior designers but it's just a reminder that like this kind of technology where you kind of like see the thing you want you find a better price somewhere else is just very much de rigueur for for my generation and will will only be more so for uh for generations to come behind it, it's it's not great. I certainly could encourage my friends to buy to buy the real thing, but just uh, from some on on the scene reporting, I, I will say that that is very 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 common. Our worst fears realized. Exactly. Sounds like <laughs> exactly. I apologize. Not to end the show on a down <laughs> note. It Sounds like you probably got some better news though, Dennis. What caught your eye this week?
0: Well, I don't know if this is going to make people happy or not, okay. but I, I I just thought it was interesting to see that in what has been a, a pretty challenging. Year for the home industry, Ikea ends the year reporting a, a record sales year here in the U.S., $6.3 billion in sales, up 6.6%. And they were so happy about their success that they're actually giving out $54 million in, in bonuses to the, to the teams that, uh, that worked on all of this. But it was interesting that we've talked about the big investment that Ikea is going to be making here in the U.S., a couple billion dollars that they'll be spending Ending. and it, it seems that in the midst of everything else that's been going on they've they've lowered prices on some of their key items to recognize that people might be having a harder time and they they seem to be doing a lot of things right in this market so far
1: what's your what's your take well and I wonder whose advice they took to do all this well. <laughs> the very first episode of the Thursday show <laughs> Dennis Dennis Cully was uh, advising Ikea to take the U.S. market seriously and they've done it to the tune of 6.3 billion dollars um I I think this this makes all the sense in the world. I think Ikea will continue to be a bigger player here. I personally, you know, I I agree that... With critics who say it's a fast furniture company, that's valid, but I do think they actually try to work on their sustainability. That was actually a point that Lulu Little made in, in the episode, and so I think, you know, better this than you know cheap MDF stuff that comes from uh, comes from nowhere. So, you know, it's it's interesting to watch, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about IKEA in 2024. No, I I completely agree.
0: And a follow up on that, they actually, as as part of this announcement, made clear that in in the coming months, they're actually going to release more information information about how they're doing on sustainability and, and equity. So they are focused on this. And so we'll, we'll no doubt hear more in the weeks ahead. All right. That's all the time we have today. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to keep up with the latest news, browse job listings, or take a workshop, visit us online at businessofhome.com. If you want to get in touch with the show, write to us at podcast at businessofhome.com. This episode was produced by Fred Nikolaus and Caroline Burke and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back with you on
4: Monday.